Although it may feel a bit strange, um, in the spirit of remembering what we're doing, for those of you whose situation allows, if you will please stand um, as we listen to God's word together. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 to 6. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like some people, someone people turned away from, He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. But we, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. And also from Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 to 16. Jesus went into Peter's house and saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her. Then she got up and began to serve him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Um, Well, uh, would you please join with me in prayer uh, before we continue moving forward? Father, uh, as we turn to your word, uh, it is precious, it is powerful, it is what we need. And we thank you that even as we turn to your word, your spirit is there speaking to our hearts. And I pray, we pray that you would help me to speak clearly, that you would help us to hear what we need to hear, that more and more we might be your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I wanna say from the outset that it is not my intent for the next, so you know, however many weeks to kind of do different versions of what the Bible has to say about the coronavirus. Um, One of the great things about scripture is it reorients us. It helps us to recognize that the story that maybe is consuming us is not not really the big picture, that coronavirus isn't everything, that it will at some point pass, but what God is doing will continue. But that said, uh, one of the things I was struck by in this passage was just how obviously it speaks to our moment. I don't think this is something I noticed before, but perhaps... Perhaps even as Jennifer was reading it, you noticed the connection. Uh, where in verse three, 
um, of, of Isaiah 53, we saw it saying he is a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. Um, uh, just backing up, we are, if you don't know, we are working through the suffering servant songs in Isaiah, these, these songs that prophetically speak of Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus even came to this earth. And here we see he was a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. And then if you move to verse four, it says he himself bore our sicknesses. And then uh, verse five speaks of how we are healed by his wounds. There's this really strong theme of, of healing and sickness. And in case you think I am just uh, kind of noticing something because of the moments, it's striking to me that when Matthew, when he is describing in the gospel uh, what's taking place with Jesus, when he speaks of all the healing that Jesus did, maybe you notice this as well, that at the very end of this kind of section, it says, he did this so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. What we have here is clearly something that is connecting us, that is telling us something about sickness and healing. And, and so what I would like to do this morning is to really consider this in three parts. Um, that sicknesses tells us that we are not well, that Jesus came to make us well, and then to ask a question, do we want to be well? So let me start with what maybe seems like an obvious point, and that is that, that sickness is meant to show us that we are not well. So if you are like me, you might feel like you are drinking from a fire hydrant when it comes to trying to absorb all the news about the coronavirus. It's just always coming at us. And one of the things I've noticed is that people are starting to even ask the question of meaning. Like, what is the meaning of what is taking place here? What does this mean for the future? What does this mean for the economy? What does this mean about our government and the elections? And I want to tell us uh, that, that scripture also tells us something about what this means. That scripture, pretty much throughout the Bible, tells us that sickness is meant to show us that we are not well. So um, you know how uh, when you are driving a car, sometimes you'll see this little warning light. I think sometimes people even call them dummy lights to let you know something is going on. That everything can sound fine, the engine can be running fine, but suddenly you see something that says like check engine or a low oil pressure or whatnot. And I mean, you could, I suppose, choose to ignore those warnings. Uh, if you know from a previous sermon, I did that one time in Australia when it said it was overheating and that didn't go so well. But the idea is that they indicate something that we might not be aware of that's going deep within the car. Now, I've realized that in some ways, I think sometimes our body can function similarly in terms of telling us what's going on inside of us. So I'm somewhat like a you know, stereotypically male in that I'm oftentimes not aware of what's going on emotionally inside of me. When someone asks, hey, how are you doing? If it, they actually really want to know, I kind of can be flat-footed and go, I, I, I don't know. Um, but sometimes the way that I can actually realize what's going on inside of me is through some of the things that are kind of physically taking place. So if I find myself day after day not sleeping well and my shoulders being tight, I realize, I guess I must be feeling pretty stressed. Or sometimes if, if something in an interaction is going on, I feel my pulse starting to rise, I realize this really matters to me. I'm, I'm getting angry about this. In some ways, what's going on kind of physically can act like a warning light, can say, hey, there's something deeper that's going on inside of us. 
And I want to suggest that that is the way that sickness is designed to work, that it is a, a warning light that is meant to help us realize that something deep, deep within us is not well. So our natural disposition, and I don't think I'm going to be saying anything controversial here, our natural disposition is to is to believe that the best way to live is for us to be in control of our lives. We, our instinct is to say that, that I need to make my own decisions, that I need to protect myself, that I need to provide for myself, that in every way I need to be in charge because that is the way that I can most ensure that I'm happy. That is the way that we operate oftentimes without even thinking. And scripture really clearly tells us that as much as this might seem like the right way, this is exactly the opposite of the way that we need to live. That the reality is you and I were not designed to do this by ourselves. The reality is that you and I were designed to be in ongoing connection with God, where he is the one who provides, where he is the one who guides, where we rest in his love and we wait and depend upon him. And scripture actually says that if we continue to choose this pathway of being in control, of just kind of choosing things for ourselves, there is a really drastic outcome. There is judgment. There is death at the very end of it. But the difficulty is, even if we hear those warnings, it oftentimes doesn't feel very real to us. We hear that, that this is the way of death because it's the way of kind of turning away from God, but but what feels real is the fact that we have bills to pay, is the fact that we have things to do in the moment, that we have to kind of take care of ourselves. And in a sense, we're a little bit like those, well, those partiers in the beach that we've been seeing. Have you, have you seen that in the news over the last week? There's these fairly embarrassing videos of people on the beach. They're saying, hey, I don't care about the coronavirus. I've been wanting to go to spring break. I've been wanting to party, and I'll just party. And it seems like the entire nation is angry with these people because they seem to be so um, selfish. But if we just try to take a step back and be a bit sensitive to them for a moment and understand where they're coming from, it doesn't feel real, right? Like, yes, there are these warnings that people are saying of what's going to happen, but if you are outside and it's sunny and you're with your friends and no one is sick, all of this seems like some sort of distant, insignificant thing. All that feels real is the desire to have fun. And in some ways, we're a little bit like that. We, we're told, hey, you can't keep going this way. You, you, need, you need God. And as long as you start trying to do things on your own, it is a pathway that is ultimately going to be self-destructive. And yet it doesn't feel real. And so we just kind of will set it aside. And what I want to suggest, what I think scripture points us to, is that sickness is meant as a warning light in that moment to help us to realize that this really is a problem. So scripture repeatedly connects sin and sickness together. Not that every time we're sick is because of a specific sin, but, because, but that there is a larger connection to them. That is, sin, whenever we are choosing, whenever humanity has chosen sin, it is a choice to reject God's order, to reject the beauty of the world that God created to do things in our own disordered way. And, and sickness is in some ways our way of tasting that decision. Sickness is an experience of that disorder, an experience of the outcome, the consequences of that decision to turn away from God. 
And so in a sense, and I realize this is a delicate thing to say, and hopefully you can hear me out, there is a sense in which sickness can actually be a gift. Because sickness can bring us back to reality. Think about it when you have found yourself really sick, not just like with the sniffles, but where you are in bed and you are miserable. Think of just how weak you feel. Suddenly, we who like to be self-sufficient and in control are needing help for everything. And we are just longing to be made better and we realize there is nothing on our own that we can do. We are helpless in that moment. And what that is meant to orient us to is to realize that this is the life that is without God ultimately. That's the trajectory. This is a taste of that. It's meant to help us realize that we, that we need God, that, that we need to be well, not just at this physical level. This is just the warning light, but at an even deeper spiritual level, that, that, we, that we need to be made well by being made right with God. So, so where am I going with this in terms of even for right now? I want to suggest that there's a real sense that we can say that our world, our entire world is sick right now. And I, I'm not saying everyone has the coronavirus. Of course, and that's not true. Right now, it's just a very small fraction. But the entire world is feeling it, right? I mean, the world's largest economy is being just obliterated in some ways. The, you know, the governments are being put into disarray. The, the selfishness of, of other people are being exposed. We are all feeling it. Even the medical system that we have so trusted in doesn't look like it's going to be able to handle it. And, and what we're being shown is that we are not well. That this way of trying to do things on our own, of just thinking that we know what's best for us and we can kind of take thing, care of things on our own, we are being shown that is a lie by tasting the future that we are choosing when we're choosing to go on our own. I mean, don't, don't you even feel it personally? I'll say, and you know, I, I seek, just like many of you, seek to entrust my life to Christ. And yet the last couple of weeks, I have felt God's work of refining as I have realized how much, how much comfort I have put, how much sense of security I have gained from my carefully curated, carefully organized life. And I've been shown that is really not where I should be putting my hope. That my hope is in God and God alone. You know, if you're like me, you're constantly trying to learn about what's going on. But the reality is a lot of the stuff that I'm learning, I can't do anything about. I can't make any public policy. I'm not going to make any medical decisions. But there is one way that we are meant to learn that we can do something about. Let me encourage you to ask God, Lord, would you please, in this time of global sickness, teach me, show me, help me to see what's going on. You know, there was um, a book written not that long ago, a pastor by the name of John Piper, when he uh, became uh, sick with cancer, he actually wrote a very short book called Don't Waste Your Cancer, and it was about this, about seeking to allow God work his good things through something that is really challenging. And I want to just read a quote from it. I'm going to substitute the word uh, sickness instead of cancer because I think it's, it's relevant uh, to more than just cancer. Here's what he writes. He says, Satan's and God's designs in our sickness are not the same. Satan designs to destroy our love for Christ. 
God designs to deepen our love for Christ. Sickness does not win if we die. It wins if we fail to cherish Christ. God's design is to wean us off the breast of the world and feast us on the sufficiency of Christ. It is meant to help us to say and to feel, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Let God use this time that none of us would have chosen to work good in us. Let it teach us, if nothing else, that we, at a very deep level, apart from God, are not well. That's the first truth I want us to consider. And in some ways, it's the necessary precursor to understand the, the second truth that really is the center of the passages that we just read. And that is, Jesus Christ came to make us well. So I don't know if you noticed um, in the Matthew reading, um, but there was a lot about healing even in those verses. In fact, the first 16 or so verses of chapter 8 of Matthew really are kind of introducing this idea of how Jesus is a healer. It starts with Jesus touching and healing a leper, and then the centurion's servant, who is almost dead, he, he, he makes alive again. And then, and then we see Peter's mother-in-law, he touches who has a fever, and suddenly she's well. And then it tells us that everyone who came with sicknesses, Jesus healed. There is a lot of healing that is going on in just a few verses. In fact, if you know the story of Jesus, you know there's a lot of healing throughout his ministry. And I wonder if you've ever wondered why. I mean, probably many of us have grown up hearing it, and so we've become so accustomed to this. But almost every other figure in the Bible is not someone who has this kind of healing. In fact, none other really do, whether we're talking about Moses or Abraham or David. But Jesus, when he comes, he comes to heal. Why is he doing that again and again? I think I used to think that it was just kind of Jesus' way of showing, hey, I'm really, I'm God, I'm important, I'm powerful, except the thing is that even as Jesus heals people, he specifically tells some of them, don't tell anyone because I don't want people to misunderstand who I am. Now, I think actually when Jesus is healing people it is because he's trying to show them something about what he came to do. He is showing the world that when he came here, he came to make us well. We said that, that sickness is in some ways a sign of the consequences of our sin. And in the same way, when Jesus heals us, when he heals these people, it is a sign of what he came to do to take away the consequences of our sin. Jesus is showing us that God's desire for us, for this world, is to heal us, is to make us well. So when we get to the book of Revelation that kind of gives us a vision for the very end of all things, there is this picture of a city with people dwelling close together and, and there is no suffering, there is no death. And it also says that in this place where God dwells with people, there is healing. When Jesus came healing people, he showed that he came, that God sent him to make us, to make this world well, to make it whole. But what our passage especially wants us to notice is, is how Jesus came to do this. 
So we are now in this time of, of really heightened social distancing, right? I don't know if you're like this, but sometimes when I'm watching TV now and I'm seeing people all close together and, and shaking hands, a part of me goes like, oh, don't do that because I'm like in such a different context than they are. And so I wondered if when you were reading or when Jennifer was reading from Matthew, you noticed that when Jesus comes to Peter's mother-in-law, who is sick, he touches her, not social distancing. In fact, uh, this isn't the first time he did that. The very beginning of Matthew 8, Jesus touches a leper, which was a no-no. I mean, like in Jewish law, there was the sense that if you touch someone sick who was unclean, that uncleanness transferred to you. Except in this context, that's not what happened. In this context, Jesus is so filled with wellness that his wholeness transfers to the leper, transfers to the one with the fever, and they just through touch become well. Can you, can you imagine if there was someone who was so healthy that he was contagiously healthy that that anyone he touched suddenly the you know like his antibodies were so strong that the coronavirus would flee the person that he touched that's that's the way that we're supposed to think of Jesus but even as Jesus is depicted as this person who just can touch and bring healing Matthew very clearly wants us to understand that this is not just the case of of this disease that Jesus encounters and touches just disappearing the consequences of sin don't just go away. Do you notice what Matthew says? He says that when he did this, he did this so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and he carried our diseases. In other words, Matthew is saying it's not just that his wellness was transferred to us but that our sickness was transferred to him so that he carried our diseases. Now, as you notice, it says this might be spoken through the prophet Isaiah. It's speaking about the very passage that was read, the, the song of the suffering servant, these two of the stanzas of this larger song, and it's saying that the servant is Jesus. So, so the, this, this suffering servant song it, it speaks of when, when God's servant, the one who came to save the world, came, we, we did not recognize him. Perhaps you noticed that it speaks about how he was despised. And that word despised actually in the Hebrew is not so much an idea of hatred. It's, it's of dismissal. We just didn't recognize his importance. That's why at the very end of verse 3 it says he was despised and we didn't value him. And the reason that we did not, from the perspective of this passage, did not recognize the value of the servant was that he didn't have the appearance of someone who was important. So when it says that he didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, it's not saying that the servant is ugly. It's that the servant didn't carry with him the signs of power and importance. You know what those signs are. You can think of people who have an expensive haircut, nicely tailored clothes, and, and this air of, of kind of confidence where they almost feel, you almost feel like they're looking down a little bit on you. Maybe they always have an assistant with them telling, so that they can tell these, here's what you need to do. The servant had none of this. Instead, the servant actually was a man of suffering, we're told. A man who was so deeply connected to sickness that it says, who knew 
what sickness was. We generally don't associate imports with someone who's really suffering, with someone who is so in the middle of sickness that he's so regularly exposed. That's why Isaiah says we didn't recognize him when he came. But what Isaiah says is what we didn't recognize is that suffering and that sickness was for us. Verse 4, yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. He's saying the reason that he was suffering, the reason was that he was sick, was that he was taking on himself consequences of our sin. And so he says, just a little bit later, we are healed by his wounds. And when Matthew, when he comes to the end of the story about healing, he is saying, that's what's happening here. That there is a real sense that even as Jesus is transferring his wholeness and his wellness to everyone that he touches, in the same way he is taking on his shoulders everyone's suffering and everyone's sickness. He is taking on his shoulders all of our consequences of the choices that we've made to turn away from God. And when he goes to the cross, it is to endure all of those consequences to make us truly well. Our God wants us to be well. He wants us to be physically well. He wants us to be spiritually well. He sent his son to take away all of the consequences that we might be whole. That is the desire of God that Jesus, every time he does one of these miracles, it is a sign. This is what God wants. This is what God wants for true wellness. He wants you to be well. And that brings uh, me to the third and, and final point that I want us to consider. And that is just the simple question, do you want to be well? Uh, that might seem like a, kind of an odd question, but let me just ask it again. Do you want, I mean, truly well, not just feeling a little bit better, not just getting beyond this economic disruption, but truly, fully sound and completely well in every way. Do you want to be made well? It might still seem like a strange question, but I, I just want to say that's the very question that Jesus himself asks. There's a point in the Gospel of John where, where Jesus is walking in Jerusalem and he sees a man who has been par paralyzed for almost 40 years. And he comes to the man and he asks him, him this question. He says, do you want be well. And we're kind of going, why is he asking that question? It's a strange question. Except the man, as he answers, it seems like he's kind of trying to dodge the question. He, he makes excuses. He speaks around it. And you almost begin to wonder, does he really want to be well? Or, or has he gotten so accustomed to this identity as someone who is sick that he's afraid to change? And as the story progresses, the profound significance of that question becomes more and more apparent. Because Jesus does make this paralyzed man well. He suddenly stands and he's able to walk. And for the first time in almost 40 years, his body is 
filled with life and the consequences of sin are taken off of his shoulders and he feels alive. And you would think in that moment as people look around and say, look, this is a man who can do this. He can make people well, that people would crowd around Jesus and would ask for help. But instead, what happens? The, the, the religious leaders who are watching are suspicious. They interrogate Jesus. They don't seem in any way interested about what Jesus has to offer them. And, and what becomes apparent when we are reading is that, that these people really don't want to be made well. Not made well if it means allowing Jesus to be the one who takes control and makes them well. Not be made well if it means they have to surrender control over their own lives. And so I want to ask you and me together, as we are experiencing this humbling effect of a global sickness, do you want to be made well? Now, let me say, um, before you answer, you should recognize that, that often the healing work of Jesus in its moments can be truly painful. Uh, it's not always an easy thing because, like with some of the most severe sicknesses that we experience, to get better, sometimes things have to get pretty hard. Jesus, uh, sorry, John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, also wrote these words about the experience of being healed, and I will read them to you. He writes, I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. T'was he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer but it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yes, more with his own hand, he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds, and laid me low. Lord, why is this, I trembling cried, wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. This is what the healing work of God sometimes might look like. It can be painful but it is good. It is what we need to be whole, to be well. And so let me ask again, do you want to be made well? It's a question for those of us who have been walking with Christ for years. I've heard it said, be careful not to pray for humility because it might be painful, but that is part of what it means to be made well. Do we want to open ourselves up 
let God do his work and make us well. And maybe for some of you this morning, the question is, is kind of asked in an absolute sense. Maybe you have not yet entrusted your life to Christ. And Christ is asking you right now, do you want to be made well? This moment exposes our weakness, exposes our inadequacy, exposes that there is something wrong with this world. Do you want to be made well? The answer for that for you is yes. Let me tell you, it's not about you suddenly getting your life right. You can't do that. It's about simply asking. Asking Jesus, saying, Lord Jesus, yes, would you please make me well? I want to invite all of us to take a few moments to do exactly that. Um, in silence, confession, or prayer, uh, to ask God for help to acknowledge our sins and to look to him to make us truly well. And then I'll lead us in prayer in a couple of minutes now.